there's so many nuances in terms of the differences of our own countries that it is uh, it is not just the one Latin America is like the many many different cultures in in the different regions. Welcome to Language and Culture with Dr. J. We are in season four dedicated to interviews conducted about Latin America. This season includes episodes in English with Latin American guests who now live abroad and episodes in Spanish conducted with Argentinians I met while traveling for two months throughout this beautiful country. In this season, I'm hoping to compare the views of Latin Americans who have moved away from their home country with those of people deeply anchored in the largest Spanish-speaking Latin American country, Argentina. If you're interested in more information about me, this podcast, or my books, please visit culturium.com, that's C-U-L-T-U-R-E-U-M.com, or my Instagram pages at drjpodcast and at quadil, Q-U-A-D-Y-L-L-E. This episode is entitled The Perspectives of a Colombian, and my guest for this episode is a dear friend, Jose Maria Coronado. Jose, known to me as Pepe, is the Executive Director and Vice President of Design Operations at J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. Welcome, Pepe, to the podcast. Thank you, uh, Andrea. It's very nice to be here with you today. So, Pepe, we met in college at the University of Kansas. And you taught me how to dance the salsa, the cumbia, the merengue, and we've been friends ever since. That's right. Uh, so when I first, um, you know, when I first came to Kansas, I thought, great, I'm going to be in the middle of the United States. And uh, what a surprise. I wasn't in the middle of nowhere. Only Whitfields, uh, sunflower seeds, and some uh, great people that I got the chance to meet when I first moved to the U.S., there was a very large Latin American population or, or student population in, in, uh, in Kansas, though. So we had a lot of international friends in the group. That's right. Yeah. So I think uh, one of the, the biggest um, support groups that I got to begin to adapt to life in the U.S. Uh, was the, the Latinos, the Latin American community in, in Kansas. And there were different pockets uh, of groups, you know, the Paraguayans, the Argentinians, the Venezuelans, but, uh, but I think uh, we all kind of had a magnet to come together. So it was uh, the Latin group, uh, one of the main groups that uh, helped me understand uh, some of the nuances of uh, culture of basically a foreign national just moving to a place like Kansas. There's no place like home. <laughs> so that is the topic of this whole season and particularly of this episode. So I think we'll just go, you know, slowly step by step and delve into each aspect of this. Where would you like to start? Should we start with your background in Colombia and let you introduce yourself a little bit, how you grew up, what was your family structure like and what brought you to the U.S. and then we'll pick up from there. That sounds good. Basically, I come from a traditional a Colombian family, a family of four. So both my parents and my sister and I, who are one year apart from each other. And uh, we grew up in Bogota, in the north side of, uh, of the capital city of Colombia. So a city of about back then five million, today seven or so uh, million people. So I, I, I come from a big city. So... Coming up to uh, a place like Lawrence, Kansas, when the city is about, you know, 35 to 40,000 people. And when school is in session, goes to 60 or 70,000. Uh, that was quite a big contrast, uh, not just because of the, of the sheer size of, uh, of the city, but also the, the type of feeling that a smaller city has uh, in comparison to, to the contrast of the big city. Growing up, I uh, went to Catholic school, a men-only Catholic school. I come to realize, you know, many, many years later that many of those um, schools are now mixed in, in terms of their 
their population and and for a for a country so conservative like Colombia that is a a, a big change in terms of uh, our own acceptance of uh, of some of the the evolution of culture and then I went to school in my undergrad at uh, Universidad Javeriana which is also a Catholic university is one of the oldest Catholic universities in America. And uh, my background is in industrial design. Uh, however, when I moved to, to Kansas, I, I went to grad school to also pursue my, my master's degree in design. I went to digital, I went to do web design. So I never, after leaving uh, Columbia, I never did uh, you know, furniture and consumer electronics and packaging and you know, kind of the traditional things that an industrial designer would do. I just went straight into, into software and web and what now we call uh, digital solutions. So that kind of gives you a, a little bit of a macro level background of where I came from, where I went, you know, through uh, my, my journey in Kansas. And then um, after that, I basically been in enterprise technology, in management consulting, and now in financial services. Mm-hmm. And so if we go back to your, to your childhood in Bogota, how do you think that was different from the childhood your son? You have a son with your wife, Paola Heinke, and you raised this child of Colombian parents in the United States. How has his childhood been different from what you experienced as a child in Bogota? Hmm, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I think um, uh, some of the biggest contrasts are really anchored in in the school system and the education structure that's um, provided basically in in Colombia or at least for a family like ours you are expected to go to a private school and you go through as I mentioned you know like an all-men Catholic school or all-female Catholic school uh, whereas in the in the U.S. you're expected to just uh, go to your school district go through your school system like that's the default, that's the path that you go through. In Colombia, you have you have to choose, okay, where do I want to go? Is it an all Spanish school? Is it a bilingual school? If it is bilingual, you know, what language do you do you choose? The the majority of the offerings in, in terms of bilingual schools is in English, but uh, there's also German and French uh, options if either your, your family heritage uh, calls for it or that is your preference. Whereas here is more like, okay, this is just your traditional English-based, uh, you know, you might choose a, a language as an option, but that's kind of a, a few of the, of the key differences that, I, that I've seen in, in terms of the education system. Mm-hmm. And what about just, just family life or just daily life? I think that the listeners are always so fascinated by aspects of culture that they can't find in the books or online. Try to give us an idea of what your, I mean, I've talked a lot about my childhood in, in the Carpathian Basin in now Romania. And I think the fascinating aspects are the things that people don't necessarily expect to concentrate on. What, what would you, how, how do you think back to your childhood in Bogota? What, 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 what was important to you? What did you do on a daily basis? Who, who was important to you? You know, how do we imagine the streets? How, how do we imagine you going and coming from school? How are you eating? What are you playing? <laughs> uh, uh, you, you threw a lot of questions. Let me start with the, the, the first part. I think the family center has always been very important for, for me. Uh, deep respect for your parents. Uh, I mean, something as simple as, yes, sir, no, ma'am. Yes, sir, no, sir. Um, you know, your, your, your deep respect to your parents, I think throughout the years that that has evolved to be a little bit more, not that it's disrespectful, but it's less formal in terms of how you show respect to your parents. I, as a child, I mean, we, because uh, schools and distances in a large city are so much uh, larger, we would go to take uh, the bus uh, and we we had a the the ride to school in in the bus and it was anywhere between 45 minutes to an hour sometimes whereas here you know the bus ride takes you 10 minutes to school or you can walk or you can bike 
and that is uh, definitely one of the probably one of the biggest contrasts in in, term, in terms of that a small little detail of uh, of how you uh, how you grow uh, as a child. When we got our driver license, we never drove to school. Uh, whereas here, like when my son turned 16, I think, or 17, 17, I think, uh, he got his driver's permit and immediately he was able to, you know, ride himself to school in the car. Uh, so those are some of the small details of how contrasting that growing up is different between being in Bogota and being in the U.S. Mm -hmm. But I think that what you're describing might be an effect of time. I think if we look at the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s in the U.S., there would be a lot more respect for to parents, uh, I think, saying ma'am and yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, and being more polite and being a lot more respectful, I think was also more common. And the difference of big city and small city would be still the same in a, in a Latin American country and in the U.S. What do you think is the difference or, or is there no difference? We often think that there's such big differences. And I mean, a lot of times we realize, well, kids have childhoods everywhere around the world. Is that maybe a, it, kids are kids? I think they, they, they're, there are certain culture elements that are slightly different. Um, and le probably less formal. I'm going to give you an example. When I first moved to the U.S., I thought that um, at the end of high school, the parents were the ones who wanted to have their kids move out of the house and go to college in the U.S., away or live, live outside of the house. When I came here, I realized, and now with my own son, I realized it's not the parents that want their kids to move out. It's actually the kids that want to move uh, some as far away as possible from home and others <laughs> far away to be independent, but close enough to be able to come, you know, periodically back home. And do their uh, laundry. <laughs> yeah. For, I mean, yeah, it's a simple thing, but yes, something or just like, you know, I just want to get like real food because I've been eating like takeout and things like that. Uh, whereas in Colombia, if you are in a capital city or if you are in a large city, you're not expected to leave home when you are uh, going to college because the colleges and universities are in the city. You just commute and come back. Uh, so those are some of the, the, the contrasts in terms of the, of the lifestyle that are, that are different. Mm -hmm. I think in terms of, uh, of food, this is, this is something very interesting. I have been drinking uh, cafe con leche, coffee with milk, since I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. uh, in the US, that's something like, like people open your eyes like you have two heads because you're offering a kid. I mean, I don't offer kid coffee, but but it's like it's, it's kind of a, a, a quite a different uh, contrast uh, in terms of the of the types of uh, simple things like uh, like coffee that, that you would have. When I was a kid, we would have breakfast, mid morning snack, lunch, mid afternoon snack and dinner. And obviously throughout the years and because of uh, a, 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 as you mentioned, because of the factor of time and because we cannot eat that much either. <laughs> uh, you know, we now yeah. just do, you know, uh, if we do breakfast, we do breakfast, lunch and dinner. So it's like uh, some of those little things. And then in terms of, of what was in, in those, I mean, you could have a, a mid afternoon snack that was almost like a full meal. And still, you would have like a like a like a full mm. meal after that. Okay. Um, in Bogota, we have something that's called um, chocolate santafereño, which is like a Santa Fe used to be the preceding name of Bogota, so it was Santa Fe de Bogota. That's the full original name of the city. So this hot chocolate Bogota style, let's call it, a, let's mm -hmm. translate it liberally in that manner, and basically you would have. A hot cocoa. Uh, you would have um, a almohavana, which is almost like a cheese bread. Uh, you would have a piece of um, a, like a peasant cheese with it, or or double cream cheese, and a and a, a tamal, but uh, not tamal like uh, you would have in in Mexico. But it it's still wrapped in a plantain leaf, and it has a kind of a potato base around it. And inside of it, you would have chicken and a piece of pork and a piece of potato. And, you know, 
so I mean, I'm just describing you what it would be a traditional Bogota afternoon snack, but it is, you know, when I describe it, it's not a snack, it's like a full meal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's true. That's true. What about some of the other aspects like growing up? You know, you mentioned that you went to a Catholic school. How were delicate issues uh, addressed with, with kids, you know, uh, whether, whether it's sexuality or religion or anything like that? Did, did you, do you see a difference in how that was handled in, in Colombia in, in comparison to how things like that are talked about or how children are brought to those topics in the U.S.? Yeah, I think um, basically because I, I went to Catholic school, my education and all my catechism was included in my own curriculum in the, in the school. Whereas here, because you go to public school, if you want to raise your kid Catholic, you have to look for the catechism with your local church or local diocese system. So you have to basically make an intentional effort. Whereas in uh, Colombia, growing up and, and being part of the Catholic school system, that would become as part of your education. You didn't have to ask. You didn't have to look for it. I think uh, I'm going to, to share a couple of anecdotes. One, uh, very interesting. Actually, I, have a, a cl I had a classmate in my, in my high school uh, who was um, a Jewish. So when we had our religion class, he would have his meeting with his rabbi. So the school accommodated for that. And uh, then another contrast, and this was a joke that turned into a bad outcome. In one of our religion classes, uh, one, one person there saying, what if I am atheist? Well, the person was put into a disciplinary profession for playing that joke in, oh. in the school. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, just yeah. to make sure I understood you correctly. So your Jewish classmate was given then um, classes or was given the opportunity to practice his own faith, but the, yes. atheist, the atheist student was punished. <laughs> uh, but but also in the context of we were talking about a serious topic and the comment was made intended as a joke mm. and make everybody kind of make fun of the situation mm -hmm. uh, when, yes, there was a punishment, but not because of the person being truly declared, OK, I don't believe in religion, but making fun of not believing in religion. Mm -hmm. which is it's a, it's about context so it's, it's a different it's a different thing but would yeah. would, a, would someone who did not practice a religion seriously would they have been allowed to attend school there yeah i i, I would think so but they had to go through the moves and uh, meet the minimum uh, passing requirements of the classes so you were not forced to go through communion for example uh you were not forced to go through confession but if there was a religious education class, you have to meet the minimum requirement of passing the class. Mm. But how, how is that? You know, I spent quite a bit of time in Mexico, in Guadalajara. And I know that, for example, I mean, the family that I was staying with was very religious and we went to church every day. And when I say we, I mean all the women. So the men, a lot of the men did not go at all or some of them went and didn't really participate. How, how is that in Colombia or how was that in Colombia? Well, for us, I mean, because we were an all-male uh, Catholic school, we all went to, to church. It was not Chapel, like, a, oh right? yeah, yeah, I choose not to go to. No, a very strict discipline about that. Mm. And, and afterwards, you know, when, when, once you're a grown-up, do, do people go to church daily? Uh, no, uh, well, it depends. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but historically, no. Uh, historically, no, that's, that's not the case. Uh, we observe Sundays, but not necessarily to go to, to church every day. But there's, uh, there's definitely um, a very large group of people who are very devoted and very observant, and they either do virtual mass every day or they do uh, in-person mass every day. Mm -hmm. Well, I remember in Mexico, I was a little bit uh, surprised and questioned it a little bit 
because there were symbols of religion, um, whether it was a cross or an image of Jesus or such religious icons, uh, were displayed everywhere. And for example, they were also displayed in the bathroom. And I, I remember questioning whether this had a role in it. I mean, you know, I ha you have to understand my, my parents, my mother comes from the Reformate religion, which is a branch of Protestantism, and they don't be believe in any icons. They think it's a um, common uh, sign for something sublime, right? So you're not supposed to take the Lord's name in vain. You're not supposed to display images. You're supposed to have it in your soul, in your heart. You're supposed to pray through mentally and spiritually. How, well, any reaction to that and how that is yeah. in Colombia? Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely a very contrasting difference between uh, what you just described and what we profess in the in the Catholic faith. I mean, you, you went to Mexico, so you're probably familiar with uh, Our Lady. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Our Lady of La Virgen de Guadalupe. La Virgen de Guadalupe, thank you. Uh, and the image is is very famous and mm -hmm. very um, revered. Their pilgrimage uh, trips mm -hmm. to visit the Basilica. And that is just a, a contrastic example of we know it's a symbol. It's a representation. It's a human representation of faith. Mm. But we respect it and we, to some extent, we venerate those types of, of, of images and representations. Mm. And that is something that, uh, you know, because I grew up Catholic, eh, I always expected to see that. So, yes, I, I understand some of the differences between the, the different religions. But for us, it's, it's something normal. It's not mm. something out of the ordinary by any stretch mm -hmm. of the imagination. Mm. So I think one of the battles that Latin Americans fight is also one of being grouped together. You know, I think sort of all of all of Latin Americans, whether it's South America or, or, or Central America, are grouped into one. And they're the Latinos. And yet the countries are so vast and so different. How would you say Colombia is different from other Latin American countries? That's a great question. I think food is the first uh, thing that comes to mind from the perspective of the, the types of food. Every region in Colombia has uh, different style foods. Bogota, for example, has uh, something called ajiaco, which is uh, basically it's a, uh, almost like seven potato soup uh, is the easiest way to describe it. And it has, uh, you know, corn and chicken and, and things like that. But it is, it is very um, mild in terms of the, the, the herbs and spices that it uses mm -hmm. in contrast with, you know, for example, uh, Mexico, which a uh, simplified way to view many of the Mexican food is like, it could be very spicy or it could be, mm -hmm. you know, uh, very hot from uh, the use of, of the different peppers and chilies and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's, that's one, one key difference, uh, the, the type of foods that you can get. Uh, I think people in, in Colombia tend to be very warm, very huggy, very touchy, you know, in a positive perspective. But if you think about it, uh, not just because of the pandemic, but uh, historically in the U.S., you, you, don't, you don't touch, you don't hug, you don't kiss each other in the cheek. And, but that's something that it's, it's almost expected to happen, even in a, in a work setting. And, uh, and, and sometimes when you don't do that, people, people think that you are weird or that you're not as friendly or approachable as you you could be um so those are some of the uh, you know a couple of the elements that i could think about that you could expose yourself in terms of uh seeing some culture contrasts mm, although wouldn't you say that that's true for all of latin americans i mean from all the latin americans that i know everybody's touchy-feely <laughs> everybody's very kissy and you know sort of um, certainly yes. very warm and, and, and the, the social distance is much smaller. Yeah, I, I think uh, that is that is true. I was drawing the contrast more with, let's say, now living in the U.S. Mm. or, you know, with the heightened awareness of respect for your social space, for right? your personal mm. space. Mm. I think uh, that is that is more the context of that comment. But but that's also very interesting. I mean, what comes to people's minds when you first tell them that you're originally from Colombia? Uh, oh, you know, uh, 
Well, I, I won't tell you what would be mine. <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 I could think some anecdotes, but uh, they would not be. They would be above the PG rating uh, oh, to share on, with your podcast we want, audience. We want the good, juicy stuff. Well, I mean, people that I have never met, and they realize I'm from Colombia. They ask me about uh, drugs, and I go like, "Are you freaking kidding me? There's so <laughs> many things that you could." ask a person about and your first thought is how good the dope is is like are you you know you have to be kidding me anyway so unfortunately that that just also shows some point of ignorance from the person in the other side there's a lot of people who are generally interested on women and and they say colombian women are beautiful which is very true um so that's a, another type of question that we could get many people ask you about food And they are generally curious about the type of food that we do, how we make it, uh, where they can get it, and uh, those kind of things. So it it really depends on on your genuine interest in knowing something about the other person versus the superficial, more ignorant first reaction that many people could have. Mm-hmm. So, what would be a good, intelligent question to ask you about Colombia? <laughs> I, I think, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm disconnected because I have been living uh, in the U.S. for so long. But I think a, a very uh, relevant question right now is, for example, about the, the peace process and all the compromises that were made across all sides to end one of the longest violent conflicts in Latin America. I mean, I, I may not be the best, the best person to answer some of the details, but that would be a, a generally very interesting question to, to explore. When I, when I talk to people and they say, hey, you know, I'm going to Cartagena for the first time. I've never been there. What's there to do? And, and uh, you know, we can, uh, just to give uh, context to your, your podcast listeners, Cartagena is one of the oldest cities in the Caribbean coast of Colombia, and it is a fortress city. So there's the old city, which is inside the walls of the fortress, and there's the tourist site, which is on the beach uh, next to the old city. So there's a lot of opportunities to experience, you know, the old Spaniard uh, architecture, the colonial times, uh, uh, the museums, uh, the old cathedral type of, uh, of uh, structures. And there's also the more international a beach style type of hoteling and, and life and experiences and restaurants and food and, and things like that. So there's different approaches that you can take. You could go with something generally, you know, I'm interested. I, I don't know what to do. Uh, what do you recommend type of thing? And what would you recommend? Uh, in Cartagena? <laughs> no, in, in, no in, in, in Colombia in general. I, I think uh, Bogota, for example, the, the Gold Museum. Uh, which is um, in the in the vaults of uh, Banco de la República, Bank of the Republic, basically the, the federal bank. It is it is definitely a place to go. It has a lot of uh, pre-Columbian artifacts uh, that are are just uh, amazing and very unique. You know, in the Caribbean coast of Colombia, uh, we have Santa Marta, which is a beach uh, town, uh, but next to the beach there's one of the highest peaks in Colombia, uh, it's called the Sierra Nevada, uh, which uh, translates to the, uh, basically is the, the highest peak with uh, permanent snow in the top. And uh, it's also the, the place where one of the lost cities from uh, pre-Columbian times uh, is found. Uh, so there's anywhere from desert level temperature and places where, where you can go underneath the sea level all the way up to permanent snow. So the, the richness of the climate regions and the richness of the landscape from the coffee region to the beach, to the desert, to, to the greens in the higher altitude uh, locations in Colombia, that's something that I would uh, uh, definitely recommend people to get the opportunity to see. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to our KU years. There were a lot of Latin Americans from different countries. And I know that you all, I mean, you know, I was a fan of Latin American culture. So I, I 
but it's quite silly, quite naive. My my uh, my fascination with this culture was based on I loved the music, I loved the dancing, I loved that you guys had big groups, you were always together, cooking together. So I just gravitated towards that. Um, and you were very much united, like I said, across the board, Mexicans, Paraguayans, Uruguayans, Colombians, Venezuelans, Argentinians, but also Brazilians. Everybody was together getting along. At the same time, there were, I felt a lot of animosity as well. And you guys had a lot of prejudices as well about each other's countries and each other's groups. Do you feel comfortable sharing some of those? <laughs> you're putting me on the spot um yeah i i think uh i mean historically um there's been uh rivalries absolutely uh especially in sports you know brazil argentina colombia uh, <laughs> uruguay big 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 i mean uh, soccer is almost like a religion so that that definitely comes with uh, a little bit of animosity and uh a friction on in terms of uh, of relations. I do remember one anecdote. Uh, I could I could remember. Even though there's no animosity between Colombia and Panama, Panama was part of Colombia until the U.S. Uh, uh, built the canal and got Panama to separate from Colombia. So there's uh, there was a little bit of uh, um, anecdotes and colorful jokes between us in terms of of that. Uh, so I, I think. Um, would yes, you mind sharing one? I, I know, I know you guys with the Panamanians. I remember specifics. I remember specific people, oh, but I won't say anything. You're bad. <laughs> you're bad. <laughs> but would you uh, mind? <laughs> uh, no, to the listeners, is, we were all is, very good friends. I mean, I we spent, oh God, five years. This is really bad. Um, each other almost uh, oh, four or five times. I mean, week, I, right? <laughs> I want to say um, you're putting me again in the spot, but basically... Um, I mean, something along the lines, I, I want, I'd rather be these than a Panamanian without the canal. And that was before the canal actually <laughs> went to, uh, when, you know, the, the rightful ownership was turned back to Canada after the 100 year lease expired. So, I mean, those were uh, jokes. I mean, yeah, they're hurtful jokes when you think about it. And, uh, but uh, at the end, I think uh, the, the bonds of, um, of region, the bonds of being uh, a foreign national in a, in a new setting always kind of pulled us back, even mm. with, those, with those types of frictions. Mm. And then when it was the World Cup, it's like everybody came together, regardless of where you were, and you would cheer for each other, except when each other was playing, uh, you know, <laughs> when we were playing against each other. Uh, you know, when we had Copacabana night in Lawrence and we would come together to dance and it was one of the uh, most appreciated nights in the in the week or in the month. At the end, there was, there was a was, lot. There was the Dos Hombres, there was the Coco Loco, there was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, so I, I there, was uh, ev there every time. <laughs> yeah, I do remember. Uh, and we dance until they kicked us out. And, and then we continued at home. someone else's house. <laughs> <laughs> the after party. Absolutely. The after party so, went until in the morning. <laughs> yeah. So, so if you, if I, again, putting you on the spot and I realize I'm doing so, if you have to sort of use one or two adjectives to describe, or you can use nouns as well, um, to describe specific countries, let, let's just try it. And if you, if you don't feel comfortable with it, we can cut it out afterwards. If I just said, if I said a country, can you, could, would you describe them? I mean, you can say like, I don't know, super serious or super, you know, let, let's just try it. So Venezuelans. Warm. Okay. Brazilians. Proud. Mm -hmm. Panamanians. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't all have right, an answer. All right, all right, Par Paraguayans. Oh my goodness. I don't know. Huh? Okay. What about yeah. uh, Argent Argentinians? Here's an expression I used and I know it's, 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 it's bad. Uh, Europeans wannabes. European wannabes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Mexicans. Relaxed. Mm. Chileans, people from Chile. Amicable. 
amicable. Okay, so let's stay with this. So where do you think this, this comes from? Where do you think these sentiments come from? I think from our own biases. Um, right, but, but based on what? That, that's really interesting with Chile because, you know, um, like I said, this, this whole season is dedicated to Latin America, but I'm comparing and contrasting it always to um, Argentina. And when we were in Argentina, um, in parts of Argentina, you know, sort of, there's a lot of different issues with Chile. So I don't know if Argentinians would describe Chileans as warm. It's, it's interesting. Uh, what did you say? Amicable. 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 It's interesting. I, I think I, I do it more because of my own personal experience. Um, Tell us a little bit. Yeah, I have had chance to um, uh, work and interact with uh, people from Chile. Mm -hmm. And they have been very uh, amicable to me. Mm -hmm. um, so that's more uh, either direct experience. Or, as I mentioned, some of the other perceptions are, are, are biased perceptions without mm -hmm. direct uh, mm -hmm. uh, interaction. You cannot assume that that's going to be the same situation when there has been actual physical mm -hmm. conflict historically between Argentina and Chile. So mm -hmm. the, the, the perception or the potential bias of uh, perception is going to be maybe a little bit more animosity between uh, if you ask that same question uh, mm -hmm. about perception from from people uh, from from down south. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And isn't it true that we I mean, I've had this experience, you know, like I said, I was I have this fascination with Latin America. And yet I I have, you know, when we were in Argentina as well, I had to keep finding myself completely unaware of a lot of things. I, you know, I thought myself such a fan of Latin America and uh, realized so that I, that I know so little actually, you know, and, um, and I find that also so interesting because it's true. We base it on what we base our ideas, our perceptions, our love or, or dislike of a certain place on our experience with it, our experience with the people from that place, our, you know, limited knowledge about the history, literature, arts, cultural, political scene. So that's, that's really interesting. It's really good to be aware of that, right? Because there's so much more, there's so much depth to it every time. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I've been to Buenos Aires, like a, a whooping 48 hours. That doesn't give you the chance to appreciate anything at all or even remove your own biases from from your perception about people from Argentina um, uh, I've been to Brazil a few times so maybe a little bit more uh, opportunity to do that and when you get the chance to uh, either work in a work setting or in a conference setting interact with some people uh, from from different countries you become to realize hmm I might have a perception of you know a biased perception about people from this country and then you you meet some wonderful great uh open generous um genuinely warm people when you thought oh maybe people from this country are very cold or not amicable or mm -hmm. uh a, extremely proud of themselves when you go like uh, you know that's not quite right and and then your your whole um perception changes mm -hmm. The two groups that I would identify that I that I was always puzzled by, um, just sort of if I may, the, this whole Latin American group in, in Kansas, I think there were two groups that sort of just never really quite fit into it. And one was the Brazilians. And I think, of course, there's already like a language barrier, right? So Brazil is Latin America, but it speaks Portuguese. So already there was a somewhat slight difference. But the other one was Argentina. Why do you think that is? I mean, Brazil is the largest country in Latin America. They have uh, developed a large uh, manufacturing industry. And, and as you alluded to, they also speak uh, Portuguese, uh, whereas in the majority of the rest of Latin America is Spanish. Um, and absolutely proud of their uh, soccer uh, football team. Um, you know, Argentina, it has uh, historically had a lot of influence from Europe. Um, there's a large uh, or perceived large uh, population descent from, uh, from Europe, from, uh, from Italy, from France, from Germany uh, that had migrated to Argentina and that have uh, either uh, new generations or, or multi-generational uh, families established there. 
So there's a lot of uh, European influence. So I think uh, maybe those are a couple of uh, potential explanations to why they are a little bit different um, than, for example, in Colombia, we have less migration, uh, a lot of Spanish descent uh, alongside with uh, many, you know, American Indian descent, basically native uh, um, a mix. Uh, there's also a lot of um, black population. And then there's the, you, you know, you throw all of that in the blender and then you get the uh, Colombian with the cinnamon color skin and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that combination of the, of the warmth and the um, uh, positive smile and, and things like that of, uh, you know, basically a, a multi-ethnical mix. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the things that you're mentioning, I mean, when we went to Argentina, I was, I, and I'll, I'll say this openly, um, but preface it with, the fact that I, I absolutely loved Argentina and had an amazing time and was absolutely fascinated by the landscape and the food and the people and the, oh, it was, it was absolutely marvelous. But initially I thought, oh my goodness, am I in Latin America? And I missed, I missed the music. I missed the food. I missed, it was different. And so, I mean, okay, my knowledge of Latin America is limited to Venezuela and to, um, Mexico, right? So it's not a vast knowledge. I, I haven't traveled extensively in Latin America, but I expected some of the same things, right? And it, and it wasn't the same at all. It was what you said, you know, a lot more European. We were in, in parts of Patagonia that looked German. It looked like we were driving through German villages. Um, so, so I absolutely, absolutely underline that as well. And, and the food was completely different from, from what I identify as Latin American. And also sort of what you're saying, sort of racially and, and, and uh, in, in every sense. Yeah, I think those are some of uh, very good descriptors of, uh, of contrast in terms of, um, you know, you asked me about Paraguay and Paraguay, for example, their official language is Spanish and Guarani. Uh, it's one of the few countries in South America, well, actually the only country in South America that recognizes their um, Indian language as official. So, I mean, there's, there's so many nuances in terms of uh, the differences of, of our own countries that it is, uh, it is not just the one Latin America, it's like the many, many uh, different cultures in, in the different regions. Mm -hmm. Let's say that with the, with the native populations for a second. I mean, also traveling through Argentina, there were a lot of different opinions on the political efforts of the Mapuche. And, uh, you, you know, depending on who you asked, the, the, there were very strong opinions about it. Um, and then you go over to Chile, where there's also an even stronger opinion about the native populations. How do you feel about that? How do you, how do you think, or, or what would you want the listeners to know about native populations in Latin America, or perhaps in Colombia, or what you know of this topic for the rest of Latin America? Well, I, I know very little about what you describe in Chile and Argentina, so I would not even, um, I, I would preface my, my answer by, by, by basically um, not knowing much. I think, uh, unfortunately, the, the history tell us, not just in Colombia, but anywhere uh, across um, the Americas, um, our ancestors took care of eliminating the large majority of the of the of the population so the very few that are left are are right to be upset with what has happened to to their own that's that's as much as i can say uh, i mean i know it's a general statement but that's that's a, a reality that that we we can take a look at any any country in in america and that that's basically what what happened and there's very few um, people left um, mm. before the conquistadors came. Mm. So let's go to another aspect that you've mentioned, and that's the, the prevalence of beautiful nature in Latin America. And, you know, when you were talking about Colombia having beautiful beaches to the highest mountains and everything in between, that's also what I observed in, in Argentina. 
And uh, certainly it's true for a lot of Latin American countries. And also nature seems to be such a, not that it's not in, in Europe and especially in Germany, people um, are very committed to preserving nature, are very respectful of nature, are very engaged, environmentally engaged, but there seemed to, I sensed a different connection to nature in Argentina. People seemed very much, very content in nature uh, activities uh, seemed to center around nature. People were very happy with just going out to the lake and sitting there and kicking a ball back and forth. Or um, everything seemed to, uh, one example, and I think I've said this already a couple of times in, in different episodes, but one, one thing that surprised me, we were visiting friends and they, they had these dirt roads, right? But they lived in a very nice, neighborhood, a very nice gated community. And we said, oh, well, is, are the houses new? So are they gonna be paved? And they sort of just looked at us shocked and they said, no, why would we pave the roads? It's natural, it's already you know, bad enough that we put these houses on it. And so that's just sort of thinking about that in, in comparison to the US, for example, um, they choose in this very posh neighborhood to have dirt roads and, and sort of we'd say, yeah, but you know, look at the cars, they're all dusty. And they were like, well, it's bad enough that we have the cars. So what if they're dusty? It's dust, there is dust. Any reaction to that? I don't know if I asked my question at all. Uh, no, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't surprise me. Um, I, I think uh, what came to mind when you were uh, formulating your, 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 your uh, comments is that one of the good things about the, the pandemic crisis is that a lot of people are thinking about um, ecotourism. And, um, and I came to realize there's so beautiful, beautiful places in Colombia that I didn't know they existed. There's, a, there's one, one place called the, the Nest of the Condor. Uh, and uh, basically, it's in this uh, very secluded, a little bit hard to get place uh, and one of the last places in the world that you can actually see the condor. Um, and uh, there's we saw a... condors in Argentina. We we really literally saw condors in Argentina. I I know, but they're they're still an endangered species. Absolutely, absolutely. So so there's very few places. That's why I mentioned. So thank you for 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 that. Um, no, I didn't. I, I didn't want to make it seem like it wasn't special in in Colombia. It was just we were very excited about seeing the the condors yeah. in Argentina. And uh, there's uh, also the, um, the coffee region uh, places where you can go to. And, and you know, there, there's so many, um, you know, it's like kind of that uh, reconnecting with nature, that desire to reconnect, reconnect with nature that people um, didn't think about it before. Okay, I'm going to Paris, I'm going to Buenos Aires, I'm going to Bogota. Uh, and now they're thinking, well, maybe I should go to the Nest of the Condor or to the, mm -hmm. the bed and breakfast in the in the middle of a coffee plantation where I can just be in connection with nature mm. uh, more than anything else. Mm. Yeah, thank you. And again, you know, I <laughs> please don't take my comments about the, the condors in Colombia as, as anything critical or, or demeaning of, of those condors in comparison to the other condors. We don't wanna have any more competition with now with the condors. <laughs> So one thing that I would like to also come back to is, is uh, when you mentioned football and, and when you were talking about the differences between the different Latin American groups in Kansas, one of the things that you kept bringing up was soccer. And I did an episode at the beginning of season three that's focused on Kansas City. Uh, and I did it with Peter Vermees, who is the head coach and he used to be a player. He's the head coach of Sporting Kansas City. And the whole episode is about the unifying effect of soccer, of football. But I guess it can also be the divisive, right? It can also promote a lot of competition and rivalry. Absolutely. And, and that's why I mentioned, um, you know, when the World Cup came, when we were there, we all came together. Um, yeah, so except so, except yeah. when we were playing one another. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 right. So, and we also have our recreational soccer league where we had like the Uruguayans had their team. The, you know, we had another uh, Latin American uh, team that was kind of a, a, a mix, a mix and match place. 
the uh, uh, the Africans had their team. Uh, there were, you know, uh, all sorts of regional teams that got together, and and they basically bonded because of the of the of the soccer, but also had our own rivalries uh, there. With yeah, exactly. Let's try to end this uh, wonderful episode with Jose Maria Coronado with maybe one or two last anecdotes that you might have about the biggest culture shock you had when you first came to the U.S. and maybe one or two stories. I think a Colombian uh, in to, the U.S. I'm going to mention two that are uh, quite interesting. The first one um, in Colombia, you politely decline when they offer you water or coffee. You said, no, thank you, because you're expected to be asked again. So when I first came to the U.S. and I went uh, visit in, in, in Kansas City, uh, they asked me if I wanted something to drink. And I said, no, thank you, because I was expecting them to ask me again. Mm-hmm. I was there for two or three hours. They never asked me again, not even <laughs> a glass of water. Uh, and I felt shy enough to not be uh, blunt and, and polite and ask, uh, may I have, you know, coffee or something. Um, so in contrast, fast forward to nowadays, uh, we had a, our best friends. And when we first met, we, we told them that it's polite to decline when you uh, get asked uh, the first time. So we kind of joking, made, made a joke and said, you have to ask me three times and then I may say yes. And so... Uh, do you want to drink? Do you want to drink? Do you want to drink? And then, okay, I already asked you three times. Now tell me what you really think. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we kind of made it a joke, but it is also, it, you know, it's part of our, our culture. You, you politely decline. And I learned recently that, for example, when in Argentina, they give you mate and, and you say, thank you. That means you're done. Uh, and sometimes the polite way is to say, no, 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 I'm saying thank you just to, because I'm grateful, but I'm not done yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Interesting. That's really so, interesting. Anyway, that's, uh, I think, a positive anecdote to, to close this episode. Well, thank you so much for joining us and thank you all for listening. Thank you so much for the invitation. I really enjoyed our conversation and many, many memories came to, to mind during this. So thank you for, for having me. Thank you, Pepe.